You're listening to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast, episode 34. It's time to look at weight loss in a whole new way. Instead of focusing on calories in, calories out, you'll learn how to use your brain to transform your body and heal your relationship with food. If you're ready to lose your weight for the last time, you're in the right place. Because it's more than what you eat. It's who you are when you're eating. This is the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. Here's your host, life and weight loss coach, Dr. Michelle Tupman. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited you're here today because we have got an interview with an amazing guest. Her name is Renee Jones, and together we talk about everything emotional eating. As you know, it is such an important part of the weight loss process to really understand why you're emotionally eating or why you're stress eating. If you've been on the diet roller coaster for years, like I have, you know that many diets will work for a while and then inevitably you fall off the rails or you stop doing the diet and you gain all of your weight back. And the reason for this is it's not about the food, it's not about exercise, and there's no you know magic potion or magic pill that is going to help you lose your weight and keep it off for good. The key is you have to overcome your emotional eating and your stress eating. And so as I was doing some research on this topic, I came across Renee Jones and somewhere on social media, she had said something along the lines of, if you face your stuff, you don't have to stuff your face. And I just thought, how true is that? So I went on over to her website and her website is called Pack Your Own Bag. And I thought, again, isn't that interesting? And in reading more about Renee, she describes her coaching philosophy as really helping her clients lose weight and keep it off by discovering and managing the things that get you off course. The thing is, we can unpack all of the emotional stuff that drives us to food for comfort or that keeps us stuck so that we can move forward as our best selves, ready for the journey we've always wanted, but never really truly believed we could actually live. And Renee talks about how our baggage is often packed for us along the way, and then we unwittingly drag it along with us for years or even decades. But the good news is we can unpack all of that stuff we no longer need or want and repack for the journey we want to be on rather than the one chosen for us or the one we just happen to stumble into. And so Renee's mission is really to help everyone heal their hearts and overcome emotional eating. Because as she says, when we face our stuff, we no longer need to stuff our faces. And so Renee Jones spent 40 years herself on the diet yo-yo before overcoming her own emotional and stress eating. And she has reached and maintained her goal weight since 2012. She has a master's degree in counseling, a clinical residency, and training in traditional and contemporary models of care. She's written a book, and it's called What's Really Eating You? Overcome the Triggers of Comfort Eating. And she also has a TEDx talk on the topic, which has over 560,000 views. You'll find the links to both her book and her TED talk, as well as her website, in the show notes. Without further ado, here is the interview with Renee Jones. Renee, welcome to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for having me. Why don't we get started by telling us a little bit about yourself? 
Okay. Yeah. I actually spent 40 years on a diet. I started when I was about 10 and my mother was like, you're a bit young, but I thought, you know, I, I was redheaded, which made me different to everybody else in my class to start with. And all the little blondes and brunettes were skinny and, and lovely. And I thought I don't have to be this different. So I started my first diet and <laughs> my mother and I did the, the typical thing. We'd do really well for a little bit and then we'd fall off and we'd go back to eating the way we had before. So this one went on until I was staring down my 50th birthday. And I thought, if I don't change this now, I'm doomed. Because, you know, women change after 50, right? It makes it really hard to lose weight, so they say. But I, uh, I started out on January 1st. My New Year's resolution was to lose the weight. And I had to start again about mid-January. And again, 1st of February and March. And <laughs> by, no, by April, I actually had to buy a bigger size because I had outgrown my clothes. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is going the wrong direction. This is not what we intended. So I actually hired my first coach. And she, we didn't talk so much about food as about all the emotional stuff. And as I began to unwind some of those ties that bound me, the weight began to go away as well because I wasn't beating up on myself so much. Mm -hmm. And I actually reached my goal weight, which was, honestly, it was the last 20 pounds yet again by then. I actually reached my goal weight the week before my 50th birthday. And I've been right there for nine years. Oh, congratulations. That's Thank you. Amazing. Now, what, what I love, and I've been dying to ask you this question. Now, your business and your website is called Pack Your Own Bag. Yes. Where, where, does, where does that come from? Well, originally, I was a counselor. So I was dealing with all kinds of things. And my philosophy is that our emotional bags get packed for us as we grow up. And sometimes we have, just like our regular baggage, we have to unpack all the stuff we no longer need in order to pack for the journey we want to be on, not the one we fell into. Oh, I love that. I love that a lot. It's, it's taking responsibility for your own emotions. Really. Indeed. Indeed. And then choosing how you want to move forward and where you want to go. Exactly. Oh, I love it. Now, I know you work a lot with emotional eating. So can you tell us, Renee, what exactly is emotional eating? Where does it come from? I believe emotional eating is eating for any reason other than hunger. Mm -hmm. It I could be joy. It could be sadness. It could be boredom. It could be loneliness. Any emotion that drives you to eat when you're not hungry is part of emotional eating. And do you have a sense of where this starts for us? Mm -hmm. I believe it starts at birth because, I mean, you're, you're a physician. Mm -hmm. When a baby cries, what do we do? Well, it depends on, on what they need. We feed it. We change it. We give it love and attention. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and if they're not hungry, we may stick a pacifier in their mouth or we even, even your finger because oral soothing works. Mm. And, you know, children, when they, their pacifiers taken away from them, very often they go to their thumb and we graduate from our thumb to pizza. 
mm-hmm. or a donut. And it, mm-hmm. it's, it is something that is innate within us. If we put something in our mouths, we do feel soothed in some way. Oh, you know so what? never really thought about that, that, but that is, that is so true, right? I've often, um, I don't have children myself, but I watch my nieces and nephews and, you know, the children of my friends and, and it's such a common thing that if we're, you know, driving somewhere in the car, for instance, and the kids are having a meltdown in the back seat, it's the little baggie of goldfish that just kind of come out of the purse and, you know, reach back in, in, into the back seat. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, I've, I think I've always had this intuition that it's these sorts of, of behaviors that, that lead to emotional eating as, as adults. It never occurred to me to think back to how we are soothed as infants and and why we use pacifiers and why we engage in thumb sucking as well. So that's huge insight. I never even thought of that. You. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right. And I think it's fair to say that a good reason why so many, you know, quote unquote diets out there fail is because we never address this issue of emotional eating. And you can dig in and use willpower for a short period of time to follow, you know, whatever diet you're you're choosing to engage in. But if you're not addressing these things, you know, as soon as um, stress or anxiety or anxiety or the other emotions that um, you happen to to eat, it all just kind of goes goes down the drain. Do you have thoughts yeah. about that? Yeah. I mean, if we think about it, smokers, when they give up smoking, often gain weight because they're looking for that hand to mouth thing. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And we do it with food. We do it because, you know, when you're, as you say, when you're on a diet, you get to eat less. And we seem to think that putting something in our mouth is the only way we can soothe ourselves. Mm -hmm. But that's nonsense because we have lots of ways to soothe ourselves. Food is just easy. It's just available. Always there. And it's legal. It's fine. You can do it. Except that then your waistline tends to, to tell the tale. So if we can find other ways to soothe ourselves, then we won't need the food as much. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we will always need food. We have to, it's, it's like someone said, but an alcoholic doesn't have to buy alcohol. I have to buy food. It's like, yeah, you're right. But you've got to be mindful about it. It's true. And sometimes it can be difficult if we live in families that, you know, perhaps don't necessarily use food to soothe. And, you know, we're surrounded by all sorts of foods as well as, you know, big emotions and this urge to soothe ourselves. So do you have any suggestions on how we can get around that? Sure. Yeah. Uh, when you live with other people, they have other food. And there are a couple of things you can do. One of the, the easiest things is to move food that isn't yours to another cupboard where you don't go. Because if you go to that cupboard and get their food, then you're stealing. And we don't want that, right? <laughs> but, but you can also put those foods on a, a, a shelf in the refrigerator or the pantry above your eye level mm-hmm. and in an opaque container where you can't see it. And then put your foods, the ones that you're okay with eating, right in your eyesight 
in a clear container, if any container at all, because out of sight is out of mind. Out of mind, for sure. Yeah. So that that that's one that, that couple of things you can do. I mean, uh, if if you can, don't buy it. Don't bring it into the house, right? Because yeah, that out of mind. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, uh, I was hooked on peanut butter, and peanut butter is a fer- perfectly lovely food. It was the quantity that I was overdoing, and I spent about two years when I could not buy peanut butter. I mean, it had an emotional connection as well, but it was okay. I just can't have this in the house because mm-hmm. I can't control myself. The dog had his nose severely out of joint because he loved peanut butter. (laughs) I can imagine, you know, I went through the same thing with cheese. It was cheese for me. And, you know, cheese, I normally when I buy cheese, I will buy fancy, expensive, stinky, lovely old cheese where I have just a small little piece and it's such a you know, flavor explosion that a little bit is all I need and I feel satisfied. And I never used it for emotion because I don't, I don't actually, I don't, I don't know why. But then at some point, my husband started buying what in our house we call cheap cheese, which is just, you know, old, like regular old, like Armstrong brand cheddar that we would grate. And, uh, and um, he had bought it specifically this one time to grate and put um, on top of taco salads um, that we were making for dinner. And something happened. I don't know what it was in my brain with this cheese, but this cheese became my, my go-to food when I needed um, soothing. And I was eating chunks and chunks of this cheddar cheese at a time. And it got to the point where I had to stop buying the, the cheap cheese that, that we called, you know, in, in our house. Right. Um, and my dog was also out of joint because his nose was out of joint because he also <laughs> loved, um, the cheese. And I, you know, when I look back, it was probably about six months before we could, um, safely bring that, um, that cheese back, um, back in, into the house again. So I can relate to that story. You you talked about really just altering your environment to make it, um, to make the foods that we're likely to use for soothing um, a little more difficult for us to get. And And here's the thing, Michelle, you know, you're an adult. If you really, really want it, you can always get in the car and go get it. There are places that will keep it and keep it fresh for you. Mm-hmm. They even call them a store. <laughs> they will store it for you. <laughs> you can always go get, if you have to have it, you can always go get it. Yeah. But it helps just a little bit right. to not bring it. Yeah. To this day, any peanut butter I have lives in the garage refrigerator. Well, and, and I can understand that because another trap I fall into anyway is feeling a sense of safety, knowing that my soothing foods are there, right? And and so it also feels a little bit scary for me um, to not have those foods around because if you know something happens and I need my food to feel better and it's not there, there's this feeling of I don't know how to, I don't know how to navigate 
through that. But that thought of knowing that like my grocery store is literally a two minute drive away. And if they happen to be closed, there's a 7-Eleven, you know, two minutes in the other direction that's open 24 hours that will have something, right? Yes. And so I've actually been able to use this out of sight, out of mind um, um, method in, in my house. To, and, and it's really been effective. Yeah. Yeah. And recognize that, you know, you can always unwind those things around the food. There's a reason you're, we're connected to them mm-hmm. and everyone is different, but finding what it is like for me, the peanut butter was connected to my grandmother and somehow even the side of the jar made me think of how much she loved and encouraged me. Yes. So yeah. the thing is, she's gone. She's been gone for 10 years now. Mm-hmm. So I have to recognize she's not in the jar. She's not in the jar. But I have to figure out ways to get that love and encouragement other ways. We can get soothing in other ways. It could be um, a puzzle. It could be digging in the dirt. It could be going for a walk. I mean, I think the standard ones are get a manicure and call a friend. If that works for you, great. But there are ways that you soothe yourself when food is not available. And if we find that, then we can reconnect those things to things that will be helpful rather than challenging for you. And do you have any suggestions on how we can go about understanding what it is that we really need when we're turning to food? Yeah, sometimes that takes a little bit of help. Sometimes just talking it through with someone can be incredibly enlightening because we typically know, we just don't know that we know. In fact, people say, I have no idea. I'm like, yeah, you actually do. You just don't know that you know it. So I just talk to them, ask them questions, find out, you know, what was going on. In fact, in my TEDx, I do a, 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 an exercise. If you think about when you first had that food and what was going on around you, maybe who gave it to you and what that meant to you at the time, you can usually figure out, okay, what's going on and how, how can I soothe myself? What is it that I actually need? Because it's always connected to something. Right. Otherwise it's, it wouldn't be so strong. It's, it's so true. And this is really the power of coaching, isn't it? Right. It's yes. yeah. Right. It's, this is exactly how I discovered coaching on my weight loss journey as well is, you know, if you, read blogs or, you know, listen to podcasts or just, you know, people talking about food. Common things are we eat when we're stressed. We eat when we're anxious. We eat when we're lonely. We eat when we're bored. We eat when, we ti- when we're tired. And I would look at these things and it's like, that's not me. And I couldn't, like, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. And it never occurred to me that some people eat to soothe positive things as well. And so what I learned about myself through coaching was, you know, when I have accomplished something or when something really good was happening to me, I would get into this this thought pattern of, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? And this fear that it was all going to be taken away from me. And that's what would cause me to turn to the cheese or or whatever else. And that was certainly not intuitive um, to me until I did exactly what you suggested is started looking back at, you know, what foods am I eating? And, 
you know, what are the stories, you know, that I have there? And as soon as somebody walked me through that process, it was pretty, it was pretty clear. Yeah. I mean, there's always a reason. There's a reason we do all kinds of things. There, there's a reason for the way you want your Thanksgiving dinner mm-hmm. or Christmas dinner or birthday celebrations. Everybody is different. Every family is different. And very often, all of our particular likes are either mirroring our family or the opposite of our family. Uh, for sure. Yeah. As with everything, right? As with everything. As with everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now you started off this conversation talking about your New Year's resolution. Was it nine year nine years ago? It was uh, two thousand um, uh, twelve. Yes, yeah. ten years ago. So about t- t- ten years ago now. And you know, you mentioned starting again. You know, mid January and then you know February. And um, did you learn anything from that experience? Do you have any suggestions for? you know, setting resolutions or, or even just setting goals in general when it comes to, um, to weight loss and managing emotional eating? Well, one of the things that I often say is making resolution, resolution work means that you have to resolve the issue driving the behavior. Mm-hmm. So if you don't resolve the issue, then getting the behavior to change is going to be really hard. Because as you say, willpower is a vanishing resource. It just doesn't last for very long. So if you can figure out what's driving the behavior, you can unwind it and then you can do something different. What I was doing in those months was I refused to give up, right? I didn't, you know, the, there seems to be this idea that once you break your resolution, you're done. Mm-hmm. Ah, no prize for you. Go away. Mm-hmm. But I was like, no, I'm going to start again. I'm going to start again. I'm going to start again. And finally, I was like, OK, something's going wrong. What do I need to do? I don't understand. And that's when I got on the Internet and did some research. And a lot of the stuff that I heard wasn't particularly helpful, but some of it was a little helpful. And I, I wasn't really accustomed to the idea of a coach. Mm-hmm. and. I thought, well, okay. And I found this, I found this lady who had an online thing and it was kind of a slow go thing. And I thought, oh, that I like that. <laughs> and after about a month, I just hired her outright. I was like, yeah, I, I, I we need more time together. Sorry. Your information is good. This material is great, but I need to talk to you on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So learning that. I do better with external accountability helped me. And I think that's part of the magic of a coach as well is they have to report to you every week or month or however often your sessions are. They've got somebody to talk through the stuff with. There's the the, the discussion and then there's the accountability and that's a winning packet. So learning that I need accountability to stay on track was key. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true for so many women trying to lose weight or pursuing any goal for that matter. In fact, I think there's actually science out there to show how important accountability is in this process for sure. Well, it depends on the person mind. Cause uh, have you ever heard of Gretchen Rubin? She's got a podcast. Yes. yes. So, you know, her four tendencies. Yes. Rebel right here. Ah, obliger right here. Uh huh. Yes. So I function on external accountability. I set up everything now. In fact, the best thing I ever did for my own 
weight maintenance was to become a weight loss coach Mm -hmm. because the whole world can see when I'm not doing my stuff. Right. And I think being a rebel, why it helps me is so I, um, I don't necessarily like accountability. I have definite emotions <laughs> towards people who try to hold me accountable, including myself. Um, you know, but but I also know that um, coaching helps me on my own journey as well because I'm out there. I'm I'm still on my journey. I'm working through all of this. I understand why some of the things I suggest my clients do is so difficult because, you know, I'm living, I'm living through that now. But, you know, one thing that I always tell my clients and your new year's story from a decade ago illustrates this perfectly is that there is no such thing as failure, right? The only way you fail is if you quit. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You keep showing up. You keep learning more about yourself and how you're using food. You find ways through it. You try it out. If it doesn't work, it's not a failure. It's data. And we can we can use that and kind of move on. And so it, I use my rebel, my rebel tendencies to look at it kind of as that way rather than I'm telling myself what to do or my, <laughs> my food plan is telling me what to do or, you know, and I would, I would rebel against putting my food on the top shelf um, in our pantry um, as well. And I would have to kind of use different ways to explain to myself why this was helping me um, in the long run. So Absolutely. But I still think for a lot of people, the accountability pieces um, is yeah. important because it's just not always easy to understand that if you haven't done what you said you were going to do, you haven't failed. You only mm-hmm. fail um, if you quit. And having a coach there keeps you, you know, someone's just <laughs> gently there nudging you along the path. Hey, you know, I, uh, one of my old clients contacted me the other day and she said, okay, I know it's been a long time, but <laughs> like, yes, it's okay. Let's talk. And she said, but I'm three pounds away from my goal weight. Mm. She's done like a quarter a pound a week, but she's doing it. She's just taking it more slowly, mm-hmm. but that can be really effective. Yeah. So you're right. I mean, she had, she didn't fail. If no. if my if my clients don't reach their goal weight within the period of time we work together, that's just the start. That's just the start. I just agree. keep doing it. So what I always say, slow is the new sexy baby. I think <laughs> weight loss. The slower we do it, the more sustainable it is. That's right, because it's not so much of a change. Hmm. Yes. And you know, another piece of this is. Um, our, our, our own sense of self-worth and how we value ourselves so much comes into play, um, when we talk about emotional eating, right? So, um, do you have any insights on the role our self-esteem plays in all of this? Oh, yes. There is a worldwide, there's a pandemic other than COVID and that's (laughs) low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. It's it's freaky how many people struggle with it, but it is directly it directly relates to our um, emotional eating because we 
we do something we don't like, we beat up on ourselves. And when we beat up on ourselves, we go to soothing. And what do we often go to for soothing? But food. And then we gain a little weight and we get upset with ourselves and we beat up on ourselves and we need soothing. So we go to food and it's just an endless cycle. And if we can ever get through our hearts and minds and souls, the fact that we are so much more fabulous than we give ourselves credit for. Mm-hmm. It's not egotistical to recognize that you have skills and that your heart is good, you know? Mm-hmm. But so many people struggle with it. I struggled with it. Still struggle some days, not as much as I used to. But it is, it is directly related to how we go to food for soothing. And if we can just get it, yeah. that we're okay. And do you have any thoughts on how we can go about getting women to see the beauty inside? Well, I think just recognizing, I, you know, I had a client, she said, I just can't believe how awful I am. I said, okay, who did you kill? <laughs> Nobody. Okay. All right. Um, did you beat a child? Did you abuse a child? Oh no, I didn't do Okay. All right. Did you steal a lot of money? No. I said, okay. So what's the awful that you did? Those are the three top things for me. (laughs) Why could you possibly have done that was so awful? And she's like, "Uh, I don't know. I said, so stop telling yourself that. Yeah. You don't deserve that. Yeah. It's the self-talk. It is the self-talk. And so we need ways to change that self-talk, right? Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite things, this is something that I did because I was raised in a very cynical environment. So I became a good cynic and that whole affirmation thing. I was like, yeah, right. Okay. Fine. (laughs) So I actually started setting alarms on my phone Mm -hmm. and changing the label of the alarm to something that I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. And it took about two months before I looked at that alarm and didn't go, yeah, right. Yeah. I began to see, oh, well, okay, that might be true. And here's the thing about those alarms. They go off. Even if your phone is on silent, on do not disturb, you have a headphone plugged in, in a meeting, it still goes off. Ask me how I know. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. And you have to look at it because the button to stop it or repeat it is inverse from the timer. So you actually have to look to make sure you hit the right button. So you have to read it. It's a very effective way of looking at those things again and taking them in. And if you have mine go off throughout the day, every day. So if you hear something seven times a week, you're more likely to take it in. It starts and you, to, yeah. yeah. And you can change what you're thinking. In fact, one of the my favorite ones goes off at 12.09 central time. And it is, is that who you want to be? Yeah. So there's there's two two things that come to mind when you tell this story. And one is, have you ever heard of Rick Hansen? That name sounds familiar. I'm- he he's a he's a neuroscientist, you know, positive psychology guy, and I quote him all the time because what he always says is that the brain is like Velcro for the negative, 
and like Teflon for the positive. And so left to our own natural states, we tend to focus on all of the negative things in the world and all of the negative things about us as well. And so if you want to start changing how you're thinking about yourself, you have to be intentional about it. And so I love this idea of setting an alarm with a positive affirmation or a question or something to have you, you know, thinking um, in a different way. And, you know, one of the things that I love to ask myself, I do not set an alarm with this question, but having talking to you, I think I might do it, but it's, it's asking, it's like, if I loved myself, what decision would I make right now? Right. Because, you know, when I find myself reaching for the cheese and I remember to ask myself, you know, if I loved myself, what would I really give myself right now? The answer is never cheese. No. Right. The, the answer is, you know, a hug from my husband or snuggles with the dog or a walk or a bubble bath or even just some time, you know, quiet time, you know, to myself. But the answer is almost always clear if I ask it um, in that way. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because it has to be it has. We don't love ourselves enough. No, we we don't. And, and, and I can't for the life of me figure out why it feels so weird um, to love on ourselves. Because right? we're told the messages are not that way. Right. And how awful is that? Yeah. You know, I recently, um, I, I, I know a lot of different uh, personality profile things. And one of them I just really relate to. And I was reading the other day that my particular personality is actually the model for the best friend in every romantic comedy. <laughs> and I thought, I love that. And it, that gives me something to hang some love and kindness on. It's like, yes. I'm the best friend in the romantic comedy. I'm the cool one. Yes, always be that. And it gives me something to value. That's so helpful, hey? Yeah, yeah. So finding anything that, that speaks well of you Mm -hmm. and focusing on that, reminding yourself to focus on that. Right. And also reminding ourselves and our clients to focus on the wins, on what's going well, you know, to focus on that quarter of a pound lost or whatever it is, right? If you just sit and think about how much weight you still have to lose, it feels heavy, right? Like I I just saw you take a big sigh, right? It feels right. But if you focus on all of the amazing things that you've done already, you know, that feels, that feels so much better. And it just becomes the the whole process becomes easier. So when I choose to soothe myself in a way that I really need, as opposed to cheese or whatever it is for me, I celebrate the heck out of it. I call my husband, I dance around the kitchen, I high five whoever is in my vicinity, all of these things, because it's just so easy to, you know, you know, shrug it off and find something negative about ourselves to, to dwell on a little bit longer. Too easy, too easy. Right, right. All right. Well, you know, Renee, you mentioned dieting for, you know, 40 plus years. Mm-hmm. And now you're a decade of maintaining your cost. <laughs> yes. Are there any other, you know, strategies or pearls of wisdom that you have to, to the weight loss journey, given your experience? 
Well, I think I've done every diet except Whole30. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I've basically done the Whole30, not on the Whole30, right? Yes, but um, when I was losing my weight, the only thing I really knew how to do was low fat, low calorie. Right. And the problem was that I was tired and hungry and fairly cranky all the time. Mm-hmm. And after I'd lost my weight, I was still trying to maintain it. And I, it, oh, it was hard. You know, I couldn't, I, I'd done so much damage to my body in those 40 years that if I went over about 1500 calories, now I'm only five foot three, so I don't get a whole lot of calories for this little body, right? Um, I would gain weight. And I thought, there's just something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. And I was back to the internet looking up stuff. And I found this metabolic test. And it's just a bunch of questions that are like, how does that have anything to do with anything? But it came back and it told me that I am a fast oxidizer. So that's why my Cap'n Crunch didn't last more than an hour all those years for breakfast, right? Because I go through carbohydrates in a heartbeat. So I I looked at the food plan that they gave me and I thought, I haven't eaten some of this stuff for ages, it, I'm going to be putting on weight, but I'll give it a week and see what happens. And I lost two pounds that week. And I thought, what? <laughs> this doesn't make sense to me. But what I learned was that my body needs certain things and every body is different. If our tongues and fingerprints and irises are identifiably different, it makes sense to me that we all have to figure out what works for our body. Mm-hmm. Right? So that shifted how I eat. And in addition to losing those two pounds, I wasn't tired. I wasn't hungry. And God bless my husband. I, I wasn't cranky all week. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I've got to do this. This is good. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've changed the way I eat to fit what works for my particular chemistry. And now I give that, uh, to all of my clients so that they can know they don't have to do it, but at least they know what will work for their particular chemistry. Yeah. So I think finding what works for your body is the key. Doesn't matter who else is doing what nutrition program, find what works for you and do that. Renee, I couldn't agree with that more. Couldn't agree with that more. And I think like the um, the biggest damage that diet culture and and the diet industry has done to us is instill all of these rules, right? So now we believe we have to be low calorie, we have to be low fat, we have to be low carb, you know, what whatever rules have been, you know, hammered into your head. And it's very hard to get people who truly believe, you know, we have to have a low fat diet to lose weight. To only, you know, discover that if they do have a little bit more healthy fats in their diet, then they start to lose weight and they feel amazing. And, you know, I think that's another role for coaching, right, is to help people let go um, of all of these diet rules that have come from outside of their body and, you know, figure out what their body is going to respond to best and, and you know, to feel good with with making those decisions for themselves. So, I mean, we do it when people have allergies. We do it when people have allergies. So why not do it just for you? 
right? It's, you know, it's, it's so true. And, and I mean, that is such a good analogy, right? Because you eat, I don't know, peanuts, for an example, have a raging allergic reaction to it. You learn uh, you don't eat peanut, peanuts anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Likewise, you put a little bit more fat in your diet. You realize that you feel better. Then you include more fat in your diet, but we, we make it so much more complicated than, than that. So, um, but I, I, I love that analogy. <laughs> so Renee, you have written a book about all of this. I have. It's called What's Really Eating You? Overcome the Triggers of Comfort Eating. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Tell us a little bit about this book. Well, um, it's essentially my philosophy on on weight loss and coaching and trying to come overcome the emotional eating stuff. It's what partly what I did. Um, and it has like some a beginning thing where you think about this and then you read the chapter and then it has questions for your consideration at the end. So it, it can be a weight loss package in itself. If you're able to stay on track and do what it says, you're good. Wonderful. Well, Renee, thank you so much. We will put a link um, to your book in the show notes, to your TED Talk as well, and to your website. So if listeners are interested in learning more about this whole approach to emotional eating, they know exactly where they can find you. Fantastic. Thank you. Wonderful. And do you have any last parting words of wisdom before we sign off today? Sure. I have an acronym and I say, overcoming emotional eating isn't hard. You just have to get the hang of it. And hang is the acronym. So the H is, am I hungry? And if you are, you may actually need something to eat. But if you're not hungry, then go to the A. What is my attraction to food in this moment? What is it that is attracting me about food? The N is, what is it that I actually need instead of food? Do I need to play with the dog? Do I need a hug? Do I need you know, five minutes on the phone or a walk around the building. What do I actually need? And the G is go, go get that because that will soothe you more than food ever could. I love it. Hang. Hang. (laughs) I love it. That's brilliant. Thank you so, thank you so much for sharing that, Renee. And thank you for sharing all of your thoughts and wisdom on the, the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast today. It's so appreciated. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you, Renee. I hope you all enjoyed the conversation I shared with Renee as much as I enjoyed having it with her. Renee and I have so many points in common in how we approach weight loss and how we coach our clients. And if you are interested in learning more about how you can manage your emotional eating, your stress eating, your eating to soothe all of those uncomfortable emotions. I teach all of the tools that you need to do this inside our six-month group coaching program called Nourish Yourself, Body and Mind. Inside this program, not only do I teach you how to learn how to eat what's best for your body, but we also spend a lot of time 
discussing how you're using food to soothe, how you're using food to comfort your difficult emotions, and how to use other strategies that are going to help you live a more fulfilled life that leaves you feeling joyful and confident and comfortable in your body without using food in these negative ways that cause you to gain weight, feel terrible in your body and feel like you're out of control in your relationship with food. So if any of this sounds exciting or useful for you, we would love to have you inside our program. We've got a great community of women in there and you can find out all you need to know by going to www.nourishyourselfbodyandmind.com or you can reach out to me by email. I'm at michelle at waysahealth.com. And if you have any questions about emotional eating for either Renee or I, please find me on social media. I am at Waysa Health on both Facebook and Instagram. Keep in mind, we'll have the links for all of Renee's stuff, her website, her book, her TED Talk, her social media, all in the show notes for you as well. And I hope to see you again next week as we interview another expert on emotional eating who has just a little bit of a different perspective that I think you might find useful. All right. Thank you. 